Cause sometimes I be right. Hello! Welcome back, Cyber Family. Feels like it's been so long since I've been here. I'm feeling great. I'm really excited about today, y'all. Got a lot to talk about. NBA is back! I don't know why I'm so jazzed up about that. As a Knicks fan, there's a lot of questions. And a lot of hope, though. The NBA is back. Welcome. Welcome back, Cyber Family. How you been? If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Hope you enjoy yourself. Hope you decide to stay joining the family. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris. As always, reporting live from Trash Can Studios with my co-host, Wally. Say what's up, Wally. Listen, man, it feels like forever since I've been here. Now, I know you probably thinking, John, you put out you put out an episode last week. We talked about, you know, the pay-per-view model and how much, how, what they could do to change it, you know. I know, but that was pre-recorded. Because, again, I had my wedding anniversary. Had plans with the wife, so my normal time I have carved out to record this show wasn't available. Didn't want to leave you guys hanging. Right? In retrospect, I listened back to it. Could have been better. <laughs> Could have been better for being honest, right? So, a lot happened. Right? A lot of stuff I wanted to talk about, but I, I just couldn't. You know what I mean? Happy wife, happy life, but we back. So, I guess the only place to start is, is with the big heavyweight legendary fight, right? The, one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. Says some. Not me. Let me just put that right out there right now. Not me. So, I'm, in a way, I'm kind of glad that I've had a week and a half to really reflect on this fight. I watched the Fury Wilder fight. I watched it live. I took mental notes. As it was happening, I thought about it. And I was listening to the commentators. And they were going crazy during the fight. And they were, whoa, this is, what a, what a back and forth. And I was sitting there thinking, man, that's, that's not how I'm seeing it. What's, what's all the excitement about? And then after the fight, every, everywhere, everything that I heard, everything that I listened to, everything I read, talked about how amazing this fight was, how great this fight was, how action-packed this fight was, how back and forth this fight was, how Fury is one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, and how Wilder showed the heart of a champion. Oh, both guys walk out of this as winners. I didn't see it that way. I'm wondering what the hell y'all was watching. Cause when I'm cause as I was watching that fight, first of all, let me let me get into my breakdown, okay, how I saw it. The entire first round, there was a you know, before that, before the first round even started, there was a very key moment that I noticed and I said, Oh, I know exactly how this is gonna play out. So if you remember before the fight, my prediction was Wilder's learned some new tricks, some new moves, some new strategy. He's going to come out. He's going to look like a little bit of a different fighter. He's going to have a little bit of a game plan. He's going to stick with it. But what's going to happen is he's going to tire out a little bit. Fury's going to start connecting on some punches. Kind of make it a little more difficult just to stick to that perfect plan you had. And he's going to revert right back to what he's always known. 
which is throw that big right hand. Forget everything else. I need to hit you with this right hand so I knock you out. Right? But I thought ultimately Fury would, would win on points. I thought he would win in a unanimous decision. It didn't play out that way. Almost. But Fury knocked him out in round 11. Coming into the fight, when they had their ring walks, because Fury is the champion, Wilder had to come out first. Wilder came out there looking confident, right? Came out there, <laughs> was as confident as can be. Woo! He was like, oh. And he was massive. He was massive. Put on extra muscle was just scary. Looked scary. To be honest with you, I was like, yo, this, guy's, this guy is looking to hurt somebody. He got in the ring and he was all confident. You can see him pacing around, the look in his eyes, a snarl on his face. Just watch it. Go back and rewatch it. Fury's ring walk starts and they kind of look back at Wilder. Wilder still has that look. Like, oh, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt this guy. And you can see he's still stewing. The stuff he's been saying before the fight, he's still saying it in his mind. I'm going to hurt this guy. I'm going to knock him out. I'm putting him down and he's not getting back up. Focused. Fury walks into the ring. Gets into the ring. They cut back over to Wilder. His expression, his entire expression changed. From that focused, determined look, he had more of a look of, all right, I think I'm going to knock this guy. I think I'm going to get him. I think I could get him. And to me, when, when the ref brought them to the center to go over the instructions, I knew it's over for Wilder. You could see it in his eyes. You could see it in his face that it was real now. He had convinced himself that he lost the last fight because the trainers spiked his, his water. Because the, the suit was too heavy. Because Fury was cheating. He had the egg weights. He had the illegal wraps. He had the gloves with no padding. He cheated. That's why he won. He convinced himself in training that he was going to knock this guy out. I'm putting on all this muscle. I'm going to knock this guy out. He was going through training, working on his new strategy. And now that guy was standing right in front of him, and it was real now. You guys know what I'm talking about. Any of you athletes know what I'm talking about. When, when you're practicing, you're thinking it's one thing, and then the opponent is right in front of you now, and now it's real. And now you realize, oh, I... What I was practicing against isn't the same as this guy. Now it's real. Now I got to go execute it. Now a little bit of doubt creeped into his mind. Because you're standing face to face with the guy who knocked you out last time. And a guy who's bigger than you. Who's heavier than you. And is more skilled than you. And the only hope you have is if you could land that right hand flush. And the problem with that is you hit this guy flush. And he got back up. And last fight. You hit him again, and he didn't even go down. He's taken your best shot. You've taken his. You couldn't stand up to his. He could stand up to yours. There was doubt in his mind. So the first round starts. Wilder comes out jabbing to the body. Now, my first impression was he looked jittery. He was breathing heavy. He looked like he was a little jittery. It wasn't smooth. Looked like he was a little off balance. It looked like he was going to fall over to me. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe something wrong with my eyes. But he didn't look smooth or comfortable or confident when he was throwing those, those body punches in the beginning. So if we go round by round, in the first round, I gave Wilder the first round. I thought he won. I didn't think Fury did much. But in the punch stats, it was 8-8. Eight to eight. They both landed eight punches. 
Great. I thought in the second round is when the fight changed. I thought Wilder came out and he looked... I don't want to say discouraged, but I think I think he got hit with something to let him know. That got him kind of thinking to go back to what he's always done, which is revert back to that style of, I just got to land the right hand. And in the second round, Fury landed 11 punches, Wilder landed four. All right. I mean, I, okay. In the third round, Fury landed 18 punches, Wilder landed nine. Wilder got knocked down also in the third round. Almost went down twice, but got saved by the belt. Now, to me, it's like, all right, here we go again. And everyone watching it thought, here we go again. Even the commentators thought, here we go again. It's going to be a lot like the last fight where Fury's going to walk right through this guy. And you could see Wilder was tired. He was almost out of gas in the third round. Fourth round comes up. Wilder lands a big right hand, knocks down Fury. You can see Fury's hurt, but you can see he's not out. Like, it's not like, oh, he's, I hope he can make it through. It was kind of like, all right, he got rocked. He good, though. We've seen this before. He got back up. Seemed like he was good. Went back in again. Wilder caught him again behind the ear. He drops, kind of takes his time, sits and relaxes for a minute. And that was it. Fourth round, boom. But surprisingly, Fury landed eight punches to Wilder seven in the fourth round. Now this, this to me is where the fight was over. That fourth round, Wilder gave his best punch. His best punches in that round. He threw with everything he had left in the tank. It was almost as if he knew, hey man, I'm tired. I ain't got much left. I, I'm, I'm going to go for it. This is my only hope. I just got knocked down. Because remember, he had just gotten knocked down in the third round. He had gotten hurt in the third round. This guy was beginning to say, I'm going to walk through you again. He thought, I just got knocked down. This guy's bigger. This guy's stronger. This guy's better. I got to go for it. Now or never seemed to be the mentality. In the fourth round, he went for it. Knocked him down twice. He got back up, though. And that's the problem. And from that point on, from round five on, the fight was never close. It was never a good fight. It was a beatdown. Fifth round, Fury, 11 punches landed to Wilder's four. Sixth round, 14 punches for Fury, nine for Wilder. Round seven, 16 punches for Fury, eight for Wilder. Round eight, 12 punches for Fury, five for Wilder. Round nine, 22 punches for Fury, 11 for Wilder. Round 10, 19 punches for Fury, five for Wilder. And in the crucial final round, 11 punches landed for Fury, two for Wilder. Now tell me, why, what, what was great in that, number one? Why was that a great fight? To me, that was a completely one-sided fight. One-sided. From round 5 through 11, Wilder had no energy. He had no juice. He was stumbling around, getting hit with clean shots, trying to hang on, just trying to survive. At the end of every round, stumbling back to his corner looking like Thriller. It wasn't competitive. Yeah, up until round 5, sure. He knocked down Fury twice. He got knocked down in the round before. It seems like a back and forth. But after that, 
after that, he never had Fury hurt. He never had Fury in danger. And he never seemed like he was doing anything to change the course of the fight. The fight was going in a dominating fashion towards Fury. He was winning on the scorecards. He was winning if you just watched it. He was com- he was inflicting the damage, not taking any. What was great in that? Right? Here's what it was. is we've all been told, and we all know from watching it, Wilder doesn't have to be good. Wilder doesn't have to win any round. He has that right hand. If he touches you with that right hand, game over. The problem was Wilder had zero energy. He was throwing the right hand and hitting Fury. It had nothing behind it. He was so beat up, so hurt, so tired, he had no steam on that right hand anymore. That right hand was no longer dangerous. And you could see that in the way that Fury was fighting. Fury wasn't worried about getting hit with nothing. He was a charging bull. He was right there. He got hit a couple times with the right hand after round four. No effect. There was a, there was a stretch of the fight, and I, I believe it was round nine. Where at the end of the round, Wilder starts connecting on some shots. And the crowd's going wild. Like, oh my God, the announcers are going wild about Fury might be hurt. And if you watch it, Fury had his gloves on his chest and was sticking his head head first into Deontay. And was taking these punches. He wasn't hurt. It looked like what he was doing was a little bit of taunting. Was a little bit of letting him know, you can't even hurt me anymore. You got no, st- you got nothing on these punches. These punches ain't hurt. They ain't got no power no more. You've been zapped. It was a beatdown that went eleven rounds. And Wilder tried to survive. There was there was a moment where it clicked over for Wilder. I'm not gonna win. I can't beat this guy. And he realized I can't beat him. There's nothing I can do to beat him. And he said, I just want to survive the twelve rounds. And to Fury's credit, he didn't let him. He went after him and knocked him out. It wasn't a great fight. It was a one-sided fight. It was a fight dominated by Fury. And because of your belief that Wilder could land that right hand at any moment, it kept you anxious. It kept you in a state of, oh, oh, anticipation. Anticipating that he's going to throw some back. Rewatch that fight. Knowing the outcome, knowing that you think it's one of the greatest fights you've seen in years, go back and watch that fight. And now pay attention to it because you're no longer going to be anxious, waiting, thinking that Wilder might do something. And you'll be able to watch it clear-headed and you'll see that fight was dominated by Fury. And after the fourth round, after the fourth round, Wilder did nothing. It was literally 5 through 11 Completely one-sided fight. Nothing great about it. And why are we trying to give Wilder credit? Because he got back up. You decided to be a boxer. You decided to commit your life to the sport. That's what you do. I'm never giving a guy credit for standing there taking punishment. Because guess what? Brandon Rios against Manny Pacquiao got his ass beat for 12 rounds. He kept coming forward. 
Wasn't landing nothing, wasn't throwing nothing, just taking punishment. Nobody looked at him and said, heart of a warrior. What are you talking about? Let's not start treating boxers like we treat kids and give everyone participation trophies and say, at least you showed up. No, let's expect more from our champions. You can't talk the way Deontay Wilder talked to Fury. You can't accuse him of cheating. You can't accuse your trainers of cheating. You can't switch up everything and come out and say, I'm going to put you down. And then get a participation trophy because you got your ass whooped for 11 rounds and got knocked out. And now I'm supposed to credit you for saying, heart of a champion. You better have something. If you come into the table with no skills, you got no boxing skills. Okay? All you have is a right hand that everyone sees coming from a mile away. Everyone sees it. We watching the fight saying, oh, he's, he's prepping that right hand. And yeah, listen, man, you've been blessed. You've been blessed from the heavens above. That right hand is special. But as Teddy Atlas says, if you don't have a mechanism to get it there, it's useless. Right? So if you're going to come in with that level of skill, which is remedial, you think I'm going to give you credit? You better. You better be able to withstand punishment. But I'm not giving you credit for taking punishment for 11 rounds. You got exposed. You got exposed two fights ago as a guy who's a one-trick pony. And the minute you go against someone who has more than one trick, like, listen, Deontay Wilder's going to go on. In my opinion, it's over for him. Only because the way he reacted after the last fight, even after this fight, refusing to shake Fury's hand, and let me know these losses affected him greater than just saying, man, that guy's just better. This messed with his ego. This messed with his pride. This, this affects his identity. Right? Like, so you're, who's he going to fight next? Because the next fight, he has to knock that guy out. And pretty quick. And pretty effortlessly, or else it's going to mess with his confidence. Bronze Bomber, Bomb Squad. And you can't beat this guy. You can't beat him. That's a hard pill to swallow. And he didn't swallow it because he didn't shake Fury's hand. In the moment, he had the opportunity to win me over. Right? Like, I don't even dislike Wilder. I know what he is. I've accepted what he is, right? And I've accepted that his fights, you watch his fights based on that excitement of that possible big right hand being landed. But that's, that's, what, that's what it is. I'm not fooled by it. So this fight wasn't a great fight. It wasn't a great fight at all. Was it entertaining? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bunch of knockdowns. It was fun. The atmosphere was great. The anxiety induced by the right hand of Wilder kept you on edge the entire time. Yeah, even as someone who was watching the fight rooting for Wilder. I'm sorry. I wasn't rooting for Wilder. Actually, you know what? Going into the fight, I wanted Wilder to get beat up much the way he did. But right before the fight, I said, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing Wilder win this fight. I would like that for him. But it was... Listen... 
what happened happened. This guy's this guy's got you know this. In every sport, every athlete has that one guy that they just can't beat. That one guy that just gives them trouble. That that one nemesis. And especially in boxing, every fighter has that one guy that just has their number. And if you fight them when you're both in your prime, that's what happens, man. There's nothing wrong with it. Moving on. We're going to get to basketball today, but before I do my incredible deep dive into that and open up, <laughs> open up the vault of the mind so y'all can see what I be thinking, before we get into that, Look, so a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I, I brought up the topic of athletic arrogance, right? I brought that up. I talked about it. And, and one of the examples I used was Spencer Rattler. And I talked about Spencer Rattler in terms of being someone who is athletically arrogant. So, how when you watch Oklahoma play, something looks off. And I blamed it on the fact of his athletic arrogance, how he wasn't being a part of the system. He was trying to be the system. Right? How his athletic arrogance, how his arrogance as an athlete, his mind was, this is all me. I'm the key here. And he wasn't utilizing the system in Oklahoma that has produced Heisman Trophy winners, massive numbers, number one overall draft picks. He wasn't utilizing it. So against Texas, he got benched for Caleb Williams. right? Big time recruit, big arm, big eye, big personality. Look, the guy looks like the real deal. Williams looks like the real deal. And when he came in against Texas, he led him on a big, big comeback. And they won the game. Now, this wasn't the first time that Spencer Rattler got benched during the game. It's happened multiple times since he's been the starter at Oklahoma. I came on here and I had said, Spencer Rattler is one of the most talented quarterbacks. Like, just raw talent, ability to throw. Elite in my opinion, the best that Oklahoma has had, best pure passer Oklahoma has had in years, in a really long time. This kid is really talented, but he's arrogant. He's athletically arrogant. I don't know him personally, but when you watch him on the field, you can see the way he moves, the way he plays, the way he talks. He, he feels like he's greater than his skill level, would warrant, and he feels as he as he's greater than his accomplishments, right? Does that make sense? So he feels like he could do whatever. When you have a system like Oklahoma, and I say a system, not to disrespect anybody that came before, but when you have over and over and over these quarterbacks that come in, put up big numbers, move on. Next guy comes in, put up big numbers, move on. It's it's the system. Right? We're not finding the best quarterback in the country every year and getting them to come to Oklahoma. Forever. Like, no, like you build that reputation because your system takes these quarterbacks 
you put them in a position to be successful, they take off. They could use their skill paired with your system, have tremendous success. Spencer Rattler took his his skill, said screw the system, tried to have amazing success, and it wasn't working. There was something missing. So he got benched. So the next game comes up. They got TCU last week. Who's going to be the starter? Who's going to be the starter? Caleb Williams gets to start. Pat McAfee comes on his show. Says that sources close to the program, close to the player, have said that he's Spencer Rattler is going to transfer. Spencer Rattler's dad comes out and says, listen, we focused on doing what we got to do for the team. But after the year, we'll look at our options and see what we're going to do. Now, I can tell you right now, Spencer Rattler is not going to be able to play. If he's going to get benched for Caleb Williams, he's going to transfer. Or, or if he's incredibly arrogant, he's going to declare for the draft. Now, the reason why I would say don't go to the draft. You got benched at Oklahoma when you came into the year as the starter, when you were a Heisman finalist candidate. You were expected to be a top five NFL draft pick, and you got benched. It's not because the coaches like the other guy better. It's not because the coaches have it out for you. It's because you were underperforming. If you think you're ready to go to the NFL from that season, you believe way too much in your ability, and you're going to have a hard time, and you're going to struggle in the NFL, and you're not going to make it. Humble thyself. Transfer if you must. Look, I think initially I said, yo, you just gonna run. This guy took your job. You got benched and you just gonna get you just gonna pack it up and leave, go somewhere else. That's soft. That's cowardice. That shows no cojones. Then I sat down and I thought, well, wait a second. This isn't the NFL. This isn't like he could stay at Oklahoma for the next 10 years and fight for his job and eventually beat out Caleb Williams. This is college football where you have one more year of eligibility left. You're trying to go on to the NFL. you got to build your resume. What are the chances of them benching Caleb Williams next year for you to play? Slim to none. This guy's playing. He played well his first start. He's probably going to continue to play well. He was a big-time recruit for a reason. Why would they put you back in? So I get it. I get it. You have to transfer. So I I took back my initial anger and criticism of him for transferring. But it it you would have if you're going to transfer, you would have to go to your next destination humbly. Right? So there's rumors, there's reports. I don't know how substantial they are. Probably not that Arizona State could be the number 1 choice. He's from Arizona. He could feel comfortable going back home. Their quarterback could declare for the draft, so they could have an opening. It might work out. But it just goes to show, man. Athletic arrogance is no joke. That happened to Cam Newton. Cam Newton was another example we had. Where's Cam Newton at? Out of the league. Because he felt he was above any system. I'm Cam Newton. Look what I've done in this league. I've won the Heisman. I've won the Heisman, right? Didn't he win the Heisman? 
I've won the NFL MVP. I've been to a Super Bowl. I'm the man. My skill, I'm a monster. I'm a beast. Didn't humble himself when he went to, to New England. They gave him a shot. They would have held on to him forever if they gave him the shot. They gave him the shot. They brought in the rookie who they didn't feel like was ready to play yet. Who they were happy to sit for two years and let you work. And you came in and because of your athletic arrogance thinking, I'm Cam Newton. I'm a monster at this game. You did some things off the field and even on the field that led to you getting cut. And if you're Spencer Rattler, you have to realize, yeah, you were a big time recruit coming out of high school. Yes. Yes. Yes, you were the big man on campus. Yes, you had success at Oklahoma. But you got benched for a reason. So wherever you do go, I hope you go humbly. I don't feel like I need to get into Ohio State, do I? All I'm going to say is, hey, 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 CJ Stroud's Heisman odds are getting better. Looking like more of a favorite. Not quite there yet, but the odds are improving in his favor. Now, they're playing kind of lousy competition. For me, I'm excited for the Penn State game next week. That's, for me, that's going to be a big test for him. That's like his big first real, this is it, night game in the shoe. Special uniforms on. They're wearing the all red. Yeah, for the first time, they're going to have red pants. Scarlet pants. All red out. Have you seen the pictures? Have y'all seen the pictures of this? Look, I'll be honest. Initially, it's cool. I like that they do it. I understand you got young kids now. You need to do fun, interesting things. I do like that they stick with their traditional uniforms. And then, like, one game a year, they'll wear something. They'll wear, like, an alternate something a little crazy. Change it up a little bit. Make it fun. I do like that approach better than someplace like Oregon. Where, like, they'll go an entire season never wearing the same uniform twice. Like, something crazy. Like, a new uniform every game. Ah, I can't keep up with that. It's cool. It's cool. But I understand that that's the kids like the swag. You know. I sound like an idiot. I'm old saying swag. But that's just what they like. But the red pants, though. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird look. It's different, but we'll see. We'll see what it looks like in action, in motion during the game. But all I'm saying is, sometimes I'll be right. C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback on the roster. And everyone calling for, for McCord to play, or Miller to play, or Quinn Ewers to play. You're wrong. <laughs> right? Like, C.J. Stroud is the guy. And when you watch him play... You're not looking at him saying, Ugh, I don't know. You're looking at him saying, the boy looks pretty good. And that's why I love him. That's why I think he deserves to be the starter. That's why I love that he is the starter. Because he heard the criticism. He got the criticism. It was warranted to some degree. And he didn't cower. He didn't fold under the pressure. He took that week off. And he came back looking to earn it. Looking to earn his spot. Not be giving it back. To earn it. To keep it. To play well. Practicing hard. 
the grit, the fire, the determination. You can see it all in the way he plays, in the way he speaks, in the way he interacts with his teammates, the way he comes back after a bad play, good play, doesn't matter. He's got it. You can see why the coaches picked him. And I think we're in for a fun end to the season. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. They're playing Indiana this week. They're going to walk through Indiana. Don't worry about it. Next week, we'll really get into the matchup between them and Penn State. But for now, we'll let, we'll let them breathe. So let's, talk about, let's talk about the Cowboys real quick before we get into this NBA stuff. So the Cowboys are going into the bye week at 5-1. and one. Now, for honesty... I didn't get to watch the Patriots game. I caught the second half of the fourth quarter in overtime on the radio as I was driving home from the pumpkin patch. That's right. My wife took me pumpkin picking with the family, so I didn't get to watch the game. That's okay. That's okay. Like I said, I listened to the second half of the fourth quarter and overtime on the radio. And I did watch the highlights. So I can't tell you exactly what it looked like with the same level of confidence I normally do. But what I will say is, because I didn't get to see it, and because I only got to hear it and see the reactions to it, I'm cautioning everyone to take a step back. Now, I am a Cowboys fan. Have been a Cowboys fan my entire life. Okay? People used to think I was a front runner. They won in 95. Last time they won, 95. Hey, guess what? Guess what? I was eight. So even if I was on the bandwagon up until eight years old, from eight years till now, most of the time, they've been garbage. But I am a fan, loyal. Been tested, battle tested, 5 and 11, three straight years. Improved to 6 and 10, back to 5 and 11. Dave Campo, that's me. I was there. I was there when they had Chad Hutchinson, when they brought in Drew Henson. Me, I was there. I was there when they drafted Quincy Carter. I was skeptical too, and then I fell in love with Quincy Carter. I thought he was good, man. <laughs> I thought he was good. I've been, I was there when they got Romo. I was playing Madden with Romo was third string, and I was putting him in in Madden. I was using him. I was there when they got Bledsoe. I was there when they benched Bledsoe for Romo. I was there when Romo came in and threw the first intercept, his first pass intercepted. That was me. I was there. I was standing up for Romo. I was saying Romo's the best quarterback. I was saying Romo's top five in the NFL. That was me. And by the way, if you want to sit there and look at me and say Romo was never top five, let me tell you something. The fact that you are comparing him to any quarterback in the NFL, that guy was undrafted out of Division I AA. Okay? Undrafted free agent was being compared to first-round number one overall picks. And their numbers, you could compare them. The fact that Romo was always being told, oh, he's not like Rodgers or Brady or Breeze. Or Peyton Manning. Yeah, those are all big-time picks. This guy was undrafted. 
and you're trying to compare him to that? This guy wasn't a big recruit coming out of high school. Wasn't highly thought of coming out of college. And now you're comparing him to those guys. That says all I need to know. What else do you need to say? That says a lot about his ability, doesn't it? We're getting off on a tangent. The point is, I've been a Cowboys fan for a long time. I've seen them have these runs, these moments. Here's what I'll say. They probably should have lost to the Patriots. Or, depending on your perspective, maybe they should have blown them out. I didn't see the game, so I didn't see the way it went. But you give up a 75-yard touchdown pass. Like, come on, man. At the end of the game? Listen, I Trayvon Diggs, for me, love him. I think he's a really good player. But I think he's a cornerback. And cornerbacks sometimes are feast or famine. He'll get a bunch of interceptions. He's going to give up a bunch of plays, too. That's just the way it goes. If you're a guy that's going for the ball, you're going to gamble to get the ball. And sometimes you're going to lose. And we got to live with that. What I would caution everyone to say is, don't compliment the guys on the result. Like, two weeks ago, it was funny. They were talking about the Cowboys defense, how improved the Cowboys defense is. Oh, this defense is so much more improved, so improved from last year. And they pulled up the graphic. (laughs) This is funny. They pulled up the graphic from, like, the first five games last year versus the first five games this year. And the differences were so small. I think they were giving up, like, 40 less yards total and, like, two less points per game. And even the analysts who who had to comment on this we're stunned and we're like, ah, uh, you know, it, it, the numbers don't really reflect it, but you can see it on the field. And it, it made me laugh because it's like, yeah, you dumb dumbs. They're winning games. So you're assuming they're playing way better than last year. And it's like, no, 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 no. The defense is better than last year, I guess. But because they're getting turnovers and because the offense is humming and they're playing well, they've got their formula down. Run the ball. Pass off the run. That's how they've always been good. Right? That's how they've always been good. Under Dak Prescott, since Dak Prescott has been the quarterback, I think he's something like 34-7. and Right? Like 34-7 and when they run the ball, when he passes it like less than 32 times or something like that. Some crazy number. Run the ball more than you pass. You're... That's, that's the formula for this team. That's what you have. That's where he's at his best. Right? So, the defense is getting turnovers, but they're not dramatically better than last year. And also, you have to understand who they're playing. So, as a fan, I've said, I judge it more on little things, things that, you, that, don't, that aren't really the game. I told my wife uh, last week, I said, I'm about two wins away from committing to the idea that they're going to win the Super Bowl. Now, I know that sounds weird, right? I just told you to relax, calm down. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But the reason why was the energy they have and the way the guys are interacting with each other, the way the guys are, 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 are celebrating with each other. There seems to be a unity on this team that's different from before. The defense seems to be supporting the offense. The offense is supporting the defense, the special team. Everybody seems to be, seems that they like each other. 
Seems they're having fun together. Now, they're winning, sure. And that's why I said I'm about two big wins away. The Patriots win, it's a big win. Not because the Patriots are so good, but because the way they had to do it, the way they shot themselves in the foot and had to come back from that to win it, that says a lot, right? I'm not there yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they come out of the bye week against Minnesota and lose. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out of the bye week and lose two, three in a row. Is that going to change my opinion of this team? It depends. depends on how they respond to it. It depends if they start bickering. It depends if they keep that same unity, that same camaraderie. Then I could be right on board. I can think they lose two in a row and I could think this team is going to win the Super Bowl. Kind of like what the Giants did in 2007 where they lost the last game against the Patriots. Right? But you came out of that game way more confident in their ability to win than you did before because you saw something. And then they progress into the playoffs, and sure enough, they won. So a loss doesn't, to me, end everything. And that's what national media does, is they're raving about the Cowboys, and Dak is playing so well, and Trayvon Diggs is so good, and the defense is so much better, and the head coach is doing a really good job, because they're winning. But the head coach could be doing a really great job, even if you're losing. Does that make sense? Because... You can do everything right and it doesn't work. But you followed all of the steps. You did everything right. It didn't work out, though. And a coach could be pushing all the right buttons. If that player just isn't really better than the other guy, then you're going to lose. And that's just what it is. If you have better players, you win. But I think that I think the conversation, I think the hype around the Cowboys is solely based on the fact that they're winning games. It's not based on how they're winning. It's not based on who they're beating. It's not based on what they look like. It's strictly based on at the end of the day, you look at the box score, the Cowboys have more points than the other team. They're great. As a as a fan, please take a step back. Stay calm, stay contained. Don't overly praise this team. Because if things start to falter a little bit, even a little bit, they will turn on you so fast. This national media that's loving the Cowboys, praising the Cowboys, cannot wait to turn on them at the first moment of adversity. Just wait for it. It's going to happen. Just wait for it. Hey, remember all the, the Derek Carr talk? MVP playing so great. You hear about Derek Carr anymore? Nah, not really. Why? They lost a couple games. They move on to the next guy. Right? That's what they do. That's what they do. So don't don't kid yourself. The team is good. The team is playing well. Temper your expectations. Don't fall into the trap. That's how they get you. NBA is back. Oh, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for the NBA. As I get older, as I get older, I, I, I'm, I'm more a fan of the NBA, I think, than anything else. I love watching basketball. I think what it really is is that I can go outside and play basketball. So I feel like because I, I almost like I can relate to it more like, oh, I can go do that. And so it makes it much more interesting to watch. I don't even know if that makes sense. (laughs) 
But the truth is, I'm excited about basketball. I love watching basketball. Basketball is up there, probably surpassing football as my favorite sport, right, to watch. So it's probably basketball, NBA particularly, NBA, college football, NFL. End of list. Do I like college basketball? Not really. Not really. It's too hard to follow. It's too many teams. Too, like, too much. The tournament is used to be fun. But now as I get old, I don't really care too much about the tournament. I think last year I didn't even watch it. I think it's been like three, four years since I've actually watched the tournament. I'm just not that interested anymore. I've got other stuff to do. I don't know, it's weird. But anyway, the NBA's back. But with the NBA back comes the terrible, terrible sports cliches. There's no sport that has more cliches than the NBA. Okay? I told you before, once the NBA comes back, I'll start to open up. You'll start to see what my real wild thoughts are, right? Here's one thing I hate. Okay, let me get it out the way. First of all, let me get it out the way. I will be labeled a LeBron hater, though I am not. I don't hate LeBron. I hate LeBron supporters. (laughs) I hate the people that worship LeBron. I do. I hate it. I hate them. I hate them. Why? (sighs) Okay, let's get into it. I lived through Michael Jordan, right? I lived it. I lived that monumental shift. And I, I lived through sneakers weren't important. Sneakers were everything. I lived through players having a signature shoe wasn't really a thing like that. And then Jordan made it a thing like that. I lived through it. I existed at the same time that this was happening. I existed as this guy was considered the greatest of all time. The greatest athlete in the world. I lived it. Right? I was there. I was a Jordan hater. Don't get it twisted. I hated Jordan. I argue that Jordan wasn't the best player on the Bulls. (laughs) Yeah, I hated him. You want to know why? I'm a Knicks fan. The guy tortured me. Tortured me. Me personally. Yes, me. Left me depressed and sad because the Knicks couldn't get over the hump. John Starks was my, that was my guy. We shared the same name. He prevented my guy from getting a chip. I hate you, Jordan. (laughs) That's when I was young. Now as an adult, I appreciate him. I appreciate what he did. I'm in awe of what he did. Like now as a sports fan, you get it. You know, as a kid, you're irrational. You hate this guy. He's breaking your heart every year. Screw him. Right, so I lived through that. So, so when we talk about if you're if you're in your thirties and up, when you talk about Jordan, you're not trying to be a part of something. You're not trying to manufacture a great event. You live through an actual period of time where this one guy was transcendent. You live through it. I lived through Jeter, A. Rod. Garcia Parra. I lived through those great baseball players. I lived through Barry Bonds. I was there. We saw greatness. It wasn't manufactured. It wasn't fake. It wasn't propping somebody up. And that's what's happening now. 
every so often you have an era where somebody is ungodly great at something. They are just great. Right? Greatness. Whitney Houston. Greatness. Like, undeniably great. You didn't have to alter, right, the qualifications. You didn't have to say, well, of her generation, of this. No, there were people that she was just great. Greatest singer of all time. Undeniably. Doesn't matter who else you want to talk about. Michael Jordan. A GOAT. Greatest of all time. Doesn't matter what era you want to talk about. Like, there, there was these guys that were just great. Nowadays, we're in a little bit of a lull. We haven't had that guy yet, right? So the closest you get is like LeBron, who's undeniably great. Undeniably great player. This generation is so hungry and so starving to have their guy. They want to have the person that they can say, I was there, I existed when this was happening. That they propped him up as the greatest of all time based on what? It depends on who you ask. Some people will bring up the numbers. Look at the numbers. There's no denying that the NBA is a softer league than it was back when Jordan was playing. You're not allowed to touch anybody. Right? Now, did Jordan benefit from foul calls? Of course he did. I'm a Knicks fan. Of course. Of course he did. (laughs) Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, he gets a foul call every time. Much like LeBron. But there was hand checking. You were allowed to beat a guy up going to the rim. Nowadays, you can't do that. You get kicked out of the game. There's no enforcement. So the league is different now. So you can't just use stats. And then they use stats like rebounds. He's got more rebounds. He's a better rebounder. LeBron James is a forward. 6'9". Forward. Michael Jordan was a guard. LeBron James is expected to get a couple rebounds. Michael Jordan was never expected to get a couple rebounds. And he still did. Do you understand what I'm saying? Russell Westbrook averaging 10 rebounds a game is impressive because that's a guard. That's a point guard. Why are you in there? Now, of course, you know, stat chasing, that's a different topic. But what I'm saying is it's impressive for a guard to have a high rebound numbers because that's not your job. That's not what you're supposed to do. So if you can do that and the things you're supposed to do, we give you extra credit. For LeBron to average more rebounds, I would expect that. Just like I would expect the center to average more rebounds than LeBron. Like, duh. Right? Then they say, well, he's got more assists. He's a better passer. Again, assists doesn't mean you pass better. Just because you average nine assists a game doesn't mean you're making spectacular passes. It doesn't even mean you're making great passes nine times a game. It doesn't mean you're a good passer. It just means you gave the guy the ball and he scored a basket. It doesn't matter how you gave it to him. Jason Kidd wasn't a great passer because he had a lot of assists. He was a great passer because when you watched him play, he was making great passes. Look, I'll even say LaMelo Ball is a great passer. Not because he'll have assists, but because when you watch the games, watch him play, you'll see him making great passes, fitting it into tight windows, throwing full court on the on the mark. I'm not as high on the mellow as everybody else, but as a passer, top notch. 
right? So again, so hungry to have a great, so hungry to say, I watched the greatest of all time. That you prop this guy up and highlight everything he does great. Everything he does well, you praise it as the greatest. But when things don't work out, you still say, it's not him. It's not his fault. And out of that comes one of the things I hate the most. It has irritated me forever when they say a player makes everyone else better. Oh, oh God. Oh, my God. I hate, there's nothing I hate in sports more than that. There's nothing I hate in sports more than that. Let me show you a glaring example. Dion Branch was a receiver for the Patriots. They went to a Super Bowl. He played with Tom Brady. He won Super Bowl MVP. He was a good receiver. Right? He was a good receiver. After the Super Bowl, got a big-time paycheck from the Seattle Seahawks. Went on to Seattle. Didn't have the same production. Everyone said, oh, Tom Brady made him. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, dumb, dumb. Tom Brady's a great quarterback. The quarterback he had in Seattle wasn't great. What do you think is going to happen? I am a receiver. I can be wide open every play. I'm only being judged on if I get the ball. If the quarterback don't get me the ball, you think I didn't play well. I was wide open. I was waiting for it. He ain't get it to me. That ain't my fault. A receiver needs the quarterback to be good and deliver the ball. The quarterback needs the receiver to be good to catch the ball. Right? Quarterback's not making the receiver better. Receiver's not making the quarterback better. They both have to be good. Right? So if I go from a good quarterback to a garbage quarterback and my numbers drop, it's not because I wasn't good. It's not because I'm not the same player. It's because my partner that I need to be good as well is not. I can't make him better. Randy Moss didn't make any quarterback better. He was Randy Moss. Randy Moss, and evidenced by the fact that Tom Brady wasn't better with Moss. You could say, oh, he put up bigger numbers. Sure, he was throwing the ball down the field. Yes, he had his best statistical season. I know that sounds stupid. I know I sound like an idiot, and you're like, yeah, you just disproved your point. Yes, Tom Brady wasn't great that year, and then not great any other year. But when you have a receiver the caliber of Randy Moss that matches your greatness, you're going to put up better numbers because that guy's doing better than the receivers you had. He could have done that with any receiver capable of doing what Randy Moss did. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. (laughs) I sound like an idiot. Listen, sometimes I'll be right. (laughs) Leave it at that. But let's go back to basketball. The conversation has always been that LeBron James makes everybody better. LeBron James makes all of his teammates better. And it always irritated me because, no, he don't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't make them better. In fact, all I've ever seen is from 2010 when he decided to go to Miami, he took every great player that he could. He took the best player he could with him. Right? 
So he went there, and there was D-Wade was already there, and Chris Bosh went there with him. And guess what? In my opinion, he made them bow down. They actually performed worse with LeBron than they did before. They had to take lesser roles and switch the way they play to cater to him and his needs. Right? That's the way I saw it. But again, it's 2021. You can't say an opinion. You got to have some information to back you up. So whatever. I, I don't care. It seemed like it to me, but whatever. You got it. Don't worry about it. Everyone kept saying he makes them better. Then he goes to Cleveland, where you have Kyrie Irving, who was an up-and-coming star. Everyone loved Kyrie Irving. This is going to be great. And I felt like everyone in that team took a step back. Because guess what? They traded for Kevin Love. Oh, my God. Kevin Love is a 2020 guy. Kevin Love had 30 rebounds in the game. That's going to be amazing. What a big three. And guess what? Kevin Love changed his body. Kevin Love changed the way he plays. Became strictly just a three-point shooter. Kevin Love is worse with LeBron than he was before. That was just my opinion. Everybody disagreed. Whatever. Here was my point. If LeBron makes everybody better when they win, and they win the championship because LeBron elevated everybody, then how come when they lose, those players get blamed for not being good? Where was the elevation? I thought LeBron was transcendent, elevated everybody. Why, when they lose, it's everybody else's fault? He couldn't elevate them? Not that time, right? That time, he couldn't elevate them. All right, so you know what? I was sitting there the other day, and I was like, man, I am I wrong? Am I wrong to think that LeBron really doesn't make anybody better? Let's pull up some numbers. So I did. Okay? Kevin Love. You know, let's go back before that. So Dwayne Wade. I know. People probably forget how good Dwayne Wade was in his prime when he started. So you won't believe this, but Dwayne Wade, before LeBron got there, was averaging around 29 points and six rebounds a game. After LeBron got there in 2010, in the four years they played together, Dwayne Wade averaged 22 points and five rebounds. His point totals went down. Right? Okay. Was he better? Was he playing better? Now, people will say, oh, you can't look at the numbers. You got to look at the game and the way they play. Was he better? Did your opinion of Dwayne Wade not change? Before LeBron, he was considered one of the best players in the NBA. After LeBron or with LeBron, he was considered a co-pilot. All right, that's just one guy. Chris Bosh, before he went to Miami, was averaging 21 points and 11 rebounds a game. That was his averages. Over seven years in Toronto, that's what he was doing. 21 and 11. When he played with LeBron in Miami, he averaged 18 points and 8 rebounds and was relegated to being basically a spot-up three-point shooter. Was Chris Bosh better with LeBron? I don't think so. We don't even look at Chris Bosh as being a great player right now because of the time he spent with LeBron. 21 and 11 before he went there. Went there. Numbers dropped to 18 and 8. Alright. What about Kevin Love? Kevin Love was 19 points, 12 and a half rebounds a game before he went to Cleveland. After he went to Cleveland, 17 points, 10 rebounds a game. And again, much like Chris Bosh, was basically told, go stand out in the corner and shoot threes. 
That's what LeBron needs you to do. Go shoot threes. Changed up the entire way he plays. Numbers went down. Anthony Davis. He's only played two years with LeBron. He's been injured last year. Probably not fair. I just wanted to see. He was averaging 24 points and 10 rebounds before LeBron in his career. With LeBron, still averaging 24 points and 9 rebounds. Not much of a change, right? Now, again, I'm not saying LeBron makes people worse. I'm saying LeBron doesn't make them better. And I just gave you four guys whose numbers didn't get better with LeBron. They just happened to get worse. I I don't know. This is what the numbers say. Kyrie Irving was averaging 21 points and 6 assists. 21 and 6 from your point guard. I think we'd all take it. When LeBron got there, he averaged 22 and 5. Cool. Cool. LeBron made Kyrie better. Psych. <laughs> no, that's not the conclusion. Right? One point, one point better. I'll give you that one. You got that one. But you know what I said? I said, you know what? Playing with LeBron must be difficult. Right? Like, if you're a star player and you bring in LeBron, you usually have a big three. Everyone's numbers are going to go down. You know whose numbers didn't go down? LeBron James. LeBron James for his career, 27-7-7. If you look through the years, 27-7-7. LeBron gets his. Always. Every team he goes to, those guys have to take lesser, have to change their roles, change what they do. Chris Bosh has come out and talked about it, how difficult it was to adjust to playing that way, to changing the way you play to fit for LeBron. Yeah, it's difficult. So why do we have this glowing narrative that he makes everybody better? Let me look at a role player. J.R. Smith. I said maybe it's just a star thing. J.R. Smith was averaging 13 points a game in his career coming off the bench. That's what he was supposed to do. Come off the bench, score points. 13 points a game. Under LeBron, he scored 11. He was averaging 11 points a game. And was looked at as a joke because of his time with LeBron. And that stupid play in the final shore. But even before that, they looked at him as, before when he went there, they thought he was a huge asset. During and after, bum. So where does this narrative come in that LeBron makes everybody better? I don't see it. The numbers don't reflect it. The numbers don't reflect it. It doesn't exist. Guys, it doesn't exist. He got to the NBA Finals in 2007 with a bad Cleveland team. Sure, the individual players on that team were bad. Yes, individually. As a collective unit, they work. Guess what? I played rec basketball. We had CB4. CB4 rep! (laughs) Individually, okay? On that team, individually, you had some bad players. I wasn't good. Individually. We were were going undefeated in the regular season. We were going 8-0. Getting to the championship. Individually, you probably wouldn't think that's... Pick him first, right? You had my brother, Raider Hancho. First round pick, right? Excellent point guard, great on-ball defense, tough as nails. Yes, that guy. 
You had my younger brother, Lolo Green, 6'3", was probably fundamentally the best basketball player we had. Sure, yes, first-round pick. Outside of that, you had a bunch of guys, right? Put us together, have us fill a role, we get into a championship. So, yeah, that Cleveland team, individually, you would look at them and say, he's not great, he's not great, he's not great. How did he get this team to a championship? Because when you put them together and you use them and you let all these guys use their individual talents and say, focus on that, play your role, you have clear, defined roles, you can win championships. Look, look at the Spurs teams. Individually, they weren't top to bottom, these great teams. But everyone had a role. Everyone played their role to perfection. You can win games and win championships. So because of that 2007 run, LeBron got credited as a guy who can take a group of bums and get to a championship. What group of bums has he ever won a championship with? I was, I was being quiet so you can tell me an answer. In Miami... Did they have, was that a bad team in Miami? No. Okay. He went back to Cleveland. The the team that won in Cleveland, was that a bad team? No. Okay. Hmm. When he won it with the Lakers, was that a bad team? No. Okay. And you're asking, well, why are you saying it wasn't a bad team? Because they were picked to win. Right? If you have a bad team... I don't care who's on it. You're not picking the bad team to win. Right? Like Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. You weren't picking him to win the Super Bowl every year. Because you acknowledged sometimes those teams weren't good enough to win it. I'm not. like You don't understand what I'm saying? You guys picked the Lakers to win the finals when the year started. So if they do it, you can't then say, look, he won with that team. You picked them before the season started. You thought that they were good enough to win the, the, the finals. So why are you now making it seem like it's a massive accomplishment? Like you can't believe it. You picked it. LeBron has never won a championship with a really bad team. LeBron has never carried a team to a championship. LeBron has always needed the sidekicks to do it. Right? Which is why whenever LeBron wins the championship and you guys praise him for winning a championship and disregard the supporting cast, it annoys me when they lose and all you want to do is disregard him and point out that the supporting cast was terrible. First game last night, Lakers-Warriors. They talked about how the championship, they've got a lot riding on Anthony Davis's shoulders. Guess what? If they win a championship, you're not going to praise Anthony Davis for carrying him to a championship. You're going to praise LeBron for winning another ring. So stop telling me one moment how important Anthony Davis is to the team. And then when they have success, not giving him credit for it. Make sense? That's why I hate LeBron. (laughs) I hate that. I hate that in the NBA Finals, Game 7 against the Warriors, Kyrie Irving played great that game, had one less point than LeBron. 
hit the game-winning three. Not LeBron. And we talk about a block? We talk about a block. A block shot that didn't save the game, didn't win the game, didn't change the game. Kyrie Irving hitting that three won the game. And all we want to talk about is LeBron's chase down block. Oh, what a play. That won the fight. What are you talking about? Kyrie Irving averaged like 25.4 points to LeBron's 26.2. Something crazy close like that. And no one ever talks about how well Kyrie played in that series. You know LeBron James had a 40-point game in that series? You know that same game he had 40? So did Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving gets no love for that comeback. Kyrie Irving never gets to talk about how he came down. He came back from 3-1 down to the Warriors. Greatest team of all time. That didn't make him a GOAT. That didn't make him great. We still look at Kyrie as, I don't know about him. Right? Every All the credit and praise all due to LeBron. Yes, the GOAT, the greatest. Oh, my God. Look at him. Look what he did. Meanwhile, you don't even pay attention to the help that he had. You don't pay attention to the fact that in the 2013 finals, if Ray Allen doesn't hit that three to send it to overtime, LeBron loses again. LeBron missed the three to tie the game. You remember that, right? He missed it. Bosh got the rebound, kicked it to Allen. Allen made it. Right? We do remember that, right? Not knocking him for it. I don't think that his greatness is any lesser because of that. But what I'm saying is that championship is credited to him and him alone. Not realizing, look what else he had around him. Look what was helping him get there. Don't paint the picture or change the narrative to think that he carried that team. That he dragged them to a championship. That ain't what happened. I was there. I was there. Is that, you know what I'm saying? So I hate the fact that the narrative is always brought up of how great LeBron is and how he carries everybody. He makes everybody better until they lose. And then it's, oh, he needs help. Jordan needed help. Look at what Jordan had. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Because every player that wins a championship needs to have a good team around him. That's why they're called championship teams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You guys are the only ones that try to make it seem like either Jordan did it by himself or he didn't. He needed help. Look at what LeBron has had. LeBron's never played with a player as good as Scottie Pippen. Not true. Not true. I just just told you, Dwayne Wade was averaging well over 20 points a game. Chris Bosh came in averaging 21 and 11. Kevin Love was averaging 19 and 12. Kyrie was averaging 21 when you got there. That sounds to me like if you had D Wade and Bosh and, and then you came there, that's a that's that's a good trio. That's that's two really good guys you're playing with. You got you now have everyone talks about Anthony Davis as being one of the Three best players in the NBA. I've heard that LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they have two of the top three NBA players on the same roster. That's, whew, man. 
That's what? What? Unreal. I, knock it off. Knock it off. Hey, fans, knock it off. LeBron James is great. LeBron James is one of the best basketball players of all time. LeBron James probably is top five. Inarguable. Can't argue it. Probably top five. Maybe top two, depending on your preferences. See, I believe in sports. It's okay to have preferences. I prefer Kobe Bryant over LeBron James. Right? Why? Remember in the, in the All-Star game, clock's winding down. LeBron has the ball with a chance to take the game-winning shot. Kobe's playing D. LeBron passes the ball. Kobe's furious. It's an all-star game. A game that doesn't count for nothing. And the competitor in Kobe was so disappointed and so upset that the competitor in LeBron wasn't thinking, I'm taking this over you. I prefer that. I prefer that guy. I'm old school. I'm 34 years old. I come from 90s basketball. I come from the Knicks, where it was, we're not better than you, so we're going to beat you up. We're going to muck it up, make it dirty, make it ugly, scrappy. That's how we're going to have to win. That's, we don't have the, the skills. <laughs> That's where I come from. I come from going to the park, and you knew you was going to fight at the courts. Because hard fouls were in. You could foul someone at the park. You could call the M1, but if you can't beat me, we're not respecting the call. Right? That's where I come from. So I prefer the Kobe Bryant mentality of I don't care what game it is. If I'm on the court, I'm murdering all of you. Right? I like that better than LeBron who's saying I'm going to make the right basketball play. No, 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 no. If you're the best player, we live and die on you. Give me the ball. Get out the way. I'm going to do it. I, that's, that's where I come from. Right? So I prefer that. So I don't put LeBron over Kobe. You could give me all the numbers you want to. If it's 10 seconds left in the game and we have the ball, who do I want to give the ball to? I want to give it to Kobe before I give it to LeBron. Because LeBron might make the best play. He might make the right pass. But if he's going to pass it to Mario Chalmers in the corner instead of taking a contested layup and potentially getting fouled to go to the line to tie the game, I don't want Mario Chalmers with it. I want my best player with it. I want the GOAT with it preferences but it's inarguable that lebron is a great basketball player but we need to stop trying to push him up above everything as a god as the greatest of all time just enjoy the show and when it's all said and done then we can argue about it and have fun but let's enjoy the show with that being said i'm not picking the lakers to win the championship this year i'm not picking them to get there you want to know why two reasons number one their team is a frankenstein right a Frankenstein. It's going to take a while to figure out how to play because the biggest thing is Russell Westbrook can only play two ways. Either A, I'm going to take over and do it all, or B, I'm going to be passive. And right now he's starting out passive, which is expected because you're a new guy on the team. You don't want to seem as if you're trying to take over everything, so you're going to be a little passive. It's going to take some time to figure it out. I just don't believe in that collection of players. I don't. It's a... it's bunch of players you threw together that don't fit and you have to spend the entire season trying to make it fit but guess what much like when i played with cb4 when it comes down to crunch time when the game's on the line 
every one of those players you have feels like that they can do it. They could win the game. Every single one. And you know what they all have to do? They all have to say, give it to him. Give it to him. They all have to be egoless. They all have to put their ego to the side and bow down to head honcho, who is LeBron. And that's the reason why I'm not picking them to win a championship. In the playoffs last year, people blamed LeBron's performance on injuries. He's a little injured. He's a little tired. He doesn't have the support around him. Anthony Davis wasn't there. They weren't healthy as a team. Here's what everyone was ignoring. LeBron James is old, man. LeBron James is starting his... This is his 19th season in the NBA. He's been going to the playoffs consistently for over a decade. Right? He's been, he went to eight straight finals. When you go to the finals, it cuts into your offseason time. You have less time before you have to come back to start the next season. You're not resting as much. That's a grind. That's a lot of basketball being played. Look, he's not the same player. He's a step slower. His his athleticism is significantly decreased. Watch him play. Now, that's not a knock. 18 years in, like, geez, like, you're still way better than you should be after 18 years. But what happens, what I've always said is LeBron has never been the best shooter. He's never been the best finisher. He's never been the best passer. He's never been the best anything. He's just the best total package. Because he's not an A at everything. He's a B at everything. Most guys are B here, A here, C here, D here, F there. LeBron is just good at everything. Not the best. So, LeBron's greatest asset was he was 6'9", 260, and moved faster than everybody. Was quick as a cat. Athletically superior. So what happens is, I'm just more athletic than you. I'm going to get by you. I'm going to be able to finish here because you can't contest it. When that goes, when your athletic ability goes, you now have to rely on your fundamentals, your skills, your post game, your jump shot, your hook shot, all those things. He didn't have those. He didn't have those developed yet because he never had to. You could work on it. Again, I'm sure in the offseason he was taking a 5,000 threes in a game. You're going to revert back to what you've always known. And now you can see he's trying to shoot more, but he's not its not that good of a shooter. Right? So what you saw in the playoffs was a guy who athletically wasn't the most superior on the court anymore was forced to rely on his other abilities, and they weren't good enough. That's it. LeBron's getting old. He can't carry the team anymore like he used to. Now... He needs the help more than ever. So because of that, in year 19, do I think it's going to be better? No. I think he's going to have to do more to unify that team, extend, expend a lot more energy, a lot more effort to unify that team and get that team all on the same page. And I feel like that's going to ultimately hurt them. Because come the playoffs down the stretch, He ain't going to have the gas tank to do it. 
I don't think they make the finals. As far as my Knicks prediction, I don't know. <laughs> they make the playoffs. Knicks finish. You know what? I'm. You know what? Knicks are gonna be better, better than expected. They're gonna finish about third in the East. I'm. I'm gonna put it on record. I'm gonna go say it. They'll finish third in the East. Ugh, I don't. I don't know if I like that. Anytime I'm high, I'm high on the Knicks every year, right? I always think this is going to be the year they overachieve. And even last year, did they overachieve? No, they didn't overachieve. They were good. They were solid. But you saw the holes. You saw it. But, you know, they'll be good. <laughs> Let's hold off. NBA is 82 games. Let's hold off on all those predictions. The only prediction I'll make is the Lakers are not making it to the finals. Let's be honest. They're not making it to the finals. You know the truth. All right, that's my time, y'all. I'm going to thank y'all for joining me, man. I had a, I had a bunch of fun. Listen, Spencer Rattler, wherever you decide to go, remember, man, humble yourself. Not wrong with being humble. Listen, LeBron doesn't make people better. He doesn't. Okay? In fact, the best players he's playing with probably have to take a lesser role to make things work, right? That's what the numbers say. Look them up yourself if you don't believe me. Wilder Fury 3 wasn't a great fight. It was entertaining. Wasn't a great fight. You're not going to care about it in five years. Go rewatch the fight. Wilder got beat up for, 12, for 11 rounds. <laughs> Listen, man, I don't have many predictions this week. You know, Cowboys are on a bye week. There's no other real exciting games going on. But listen, Jared Goff is playing Matt Stafford this week. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm, I, listen, I'm not moonwalking on the Stafford take yet. It's still early. Listen, I think Jared Goff is going to play well, but the Lions are going to get beat up. It's the way it goes. Cowboys got the bye week. Ohio State is playing Indiana. What do you expect? They're going to beat up on Indiana. It's a little bit of a trap game, though. They got Penn State next week at home under the lights. I think they get the job done, though. TJ Stroud puts up another fantastic game. Look, man, that's my time. I, listen, I love doing this, man. Listen, we've reached that mythical seventh episode. They say statistics show most people give up on a podcast after seven episodes. Not me, not us, right? Cyber family. We're going to keep going. Listen, merch coming soon. Merch coming soon. All right? Join me. Listen, join the fam. On Instagram, at the John Ferris. Follow me there. Let's interact. Let's talk. Let's conversate. We can have these arguments online if you want. I would love to know who disagrees with me. Come on now. Shed some light on me. Educate me. Let's go. Listen, man. Thank y'all for listening. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am John Ferris. Have a blessed week, y'all. See you next week. <laughs>